Hello, you wonderful people. If you haven't already, make sure you sign up to our Patreon account. The link will be in the description of this podcast, but you can also go to patreon.com forward slash Pod. For as little as four euros a month, you can help us out and become part of our little community. You'll get early access to all of the pods and you'll also get a monthly newsletter from myself and Jim. So basically two monthly newsletters where we'll talk about stuff that's going on in our own personal lives and what we've been thinking about slash inspired about. We also are asking you guys to get involved with the podcast so you can send in questions for our upcoming guests or you can suggest to us people or topics you would like us to interview and explore further. Um, We love you. We hope that you love us and hopefully just by giving us as little as four euros a month, that's basically, it's not even a pint in London that you can help us become an even better podcast. Thank you all. Ciao amici, this is our first Italian guest, not our last but our first Italian guest and this week is Elisa Fazio. Elisa is a certified Ashtanga Vinyasa yoga teacher, she's a certified trauma-informed yoga teacher from the Trauma Conscious Yoga Institute in Austin, Texas. She also has certificates in applied polyvagal theory in regards to yoga, like embodiment strategies for trauma recovery. And I just felt that Elise was the right person to get on to try and tackle the difficult area, the multifaceted area of trauma and yoga. Um, Elisa and I first bonded over our love of Gabor Mate. (laughs) Yes, that really happened like that. I met her during uh, my summer trip in Italy and we've kept in touch ever since. I wanted to have her on the podcast to discuss the practice of yoga's potential to calm our nervous system and to help us reduce the impact of trauma and how it might impact on our lives. Trauma is a heavy, complicated and multifaceted concept, but amongst top trauma experts in the world, such as Bessel van der Kolk, Gabor Mate, Janina Fischer, and Stephen Porges, just to name a few, trauma is something pretty much that every human deals with, both physically and mentally on some level. In this podcast, we talk a bit about trauma, but really, we need a whole series of podcasts to unpack trauma. And so we hope that this podcast opened you up to a new understanding of trauma and how trauma lies within the body. Trauma-informed yoga is a practice designed to facilitate more options and possibilities for those in a yoga class, which is something, as Elisa points out in the podcast, traumatized people have rarely had in their lives this sense of control, or at least that's how their nervous system or body had perceived it. This was one of the most challenging podcasts I've ever been a part of. I'm sure same for Seb because of its intricate nature, but I really enjoyed it and I hope you take something from it. If you would like to learn more about Elisa and her work, I've left loads of uh, the necessary links in the, the show notes. Also, if you want to learn more about trauma, I've listed some recommended videos below in the show notes also. Um, but thanks for listening, guys. This is a tough topic, but necessary, <laughs> necessary in the traumatized world we live in. And yeah, I really hope you take something from it. Thanks a million. All the best. 
Hello friends, welcome back to the Earthly Delights podcast. You might think, Jim and Seb, like, you're always talking about Italy, you love Italy, you keep on talking about, why haven't you had an Italian guest on? It's a very good question. And we've been waiting for the right Italian guest to come on. Today is the day. Elisa Fazio. Benvenuta. Grazie, grazie. Come stai? Bene, thank you. I'm really good. Thank you. <laughs> good. <laughs> nice to see you. It, it, it's great to have you on. It's great to have you on because this is, this is an area, obviously, you know I have a big interest in. Uh, and I really wanted someone to come on the podcast who who I think has the skills to attack this uh, topic beautifully, carefully, um, because it's, it's, yeah, it's, um, it's a heavy topic that needs consideration. And we, we've been talking for the last like six months or so and really looking forward to being able to air this out for our trusted listeners. Um, before before we start going in and you telling us about how you got into yoga and trauma-informed yoga, I was thinking it would be nice if you could just give us um, a little bit of a breathing exercise because, you know, and I've been thinking about this for a while. It's like people listening to this, right? People could have had a fantastic day of work. They could be on the way to work. They could be walking during the weekend. We don't know what's going on with them. But I really like the idea of basically if, if we just take 60 seconds all of a sudden we're all in a more similar headspace, right? A more similar like frame of consciousness. So if you could do like a quick breathing exercise for all of us to bring us back, get us ready for the, the big topic ahead. Yes, absolutely. Sarah Bellissima. Yes. Perfect, yes. thank you. So we can um, maybe start putting the right hand on our lower abdomen, on the belly. Maybe start taking a few breaths here. And really feeling uh, our belly going against the right palm. And whenever we exhale, the, the belly is going again back towards the spine. And we do this a few times. Inhaling. And exhaling. I really feel the movement of our right palm going towards the spine. And maybe if it's available for us, we may want to allow our exhalation to relax our shoulders. And maybe we teach breath, maybe we can notice the feelings around the face under the eyes, see if we can relax uh, our jaw, and uh, while we are noticing our breath, we may, we may also recognize that uh, the pattern of our breath starts changing a little bit, maybe expanding, or maybe there is a swallow happening, or a sigh, or a yawn. And maybe we can st still take a couple of deep breaths. 
really maybe considering to lower down our exhalation and making that a little bit longer. And then maybe we can start uh, coming back into the space. And maybe we can look around in the room where we are, or if we are outside, we can just gaze around and uh, reaching with our eyes a spot in the room and uh, coming back. Thank you. That was beautiful. That was beautiful. Thank you. Okay, I feel, okay, I feel good. good. Seb, how do you feel? Feel perfect. <laughs> beautiful. beautiful. Okay. Okay. Um, first of all, first, first, of, all, first of all, can you tell us, you tell us a little bit, a little bit about how you ended up to be interested in trauma and yoga? How, how did it all begin for you? Where does it all start? Okay. So, uh, actually, it all started during a yoga teacher training that I had in Thailand back in 2016. Uh, because during okay. this teacher training, uh, we had a few pranayama, which are breathing techniques that were supposed mm -hmm. to calm us down and relax us. Mm -hmm. While actually during these techniques, uh, I was more agitated and I was actually having uh, all those symptoms that uh, are actually recognized of trauma symptoms. So I was okay. shaking, uh, I was uh, sweating. Uh, I was ex experiencing a lot of discomfort in the body and not only in the body, but in the mind too. So I was really feeling uh, like in danger during a uh, few breathing okay. techniques. And uh, I also want to mention that this is not what usually happen during <laughs> breathing no, techniques no, 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 no. in yoga. So most of the mm -hmm. uh, yoga mm, breathing techniques uh, are fine. But for some people, as that was for me, so this was my case, but probably not only me, some breathing techniques can actually activate some symptoms of trauma. So they create again a situation where the body is again re-traumatized. And we are going to discover this okay. why during this interview. But that was the first <laughs> time where I realized that there was something more going on that I had to take in consideration on the physical level. I was coming from a long okay. psychotherapist, so psychotherapy. Uh, I was in psychotherapy for around 11 years. So I had a lot, okay. plenty of talk therapy, as you can understand. Uh -huh. But, <laughs> and that was really precious for me, was really important. And um, uh -huh. I always suggest to basically anyone that I meet to, to go to therapy because we all need therapy to some degree. But uh, at the physical mm -hmm. level, I need to do some somatic work. And I wasn't aware of, about that till that moment, till that uh, okay. episode at this teacher training. Okay. And before we talk about why you had to do somatic work that you had to address the body can you give the listeners just a bit more of a background in terms of 
um, what what were you struggling with? Yes. Well, like what were so you said you saw a, a psychotherapist for eleven years. Yeah. What, what initiated you to go to the therapist, and what were you what were you working through? Yeah. So um, many many years ago, so around the age of nineteen years old, I was struggling uh, with eating disorder. So my actually my psychotherapist start um, there. Mm. Okay. And then after around the three years of psychotherapy, um, I start feeling better. So my symptoms eventually start to um, uh, improve. So I didn't have really the whole activation of eating disorder and uh, bulimia and whatever there was at the time. Uh, but then uh, during the psychotherapy, you start going deeper and deeper and deeper to the root cause uh-huh. of that, uh, of those symptoms that you have. Mm-hmm. So um, I reach a point uh, after maybe eight, nine years of psychotherapy uh, where I went in a very dark uh, hole of my life and uh, mm. I, I was diagnosed with uh, PTSD, which is post-traumatic stress disorder. And um, from there, I start having uh, panic attacks and uh, other symptoms that are connected to PTSD. And for, for who is listening to us right now, if they are going through that, I promise you, you can get better, you can get over that, and you can mm. 1 million percent manage those symptoms. It's a, it can be like a long road, a long path to get there, but it's very subjective. Mm. It can go away in one year, three years, two months, three weeks, we never know. But the more knowledge you have about this topic, the more you know about your own body, and the more you have the opportunity of really using valuable, good tools uh, to overcome all the symptoms and get better and eventually heal from PTSD or panic attacks or anxiety even. Anxiety is another big topic, and uh, most of us uh, suffer of anxiety to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's mm-hmm. really more complicated than what it looks like. Because anxiety is not okay. just like, oh, I'm a little bit worried about something. Anxiety is just a roller coaster of different feelings that can change day after day and can be um, like physically experiencing like a constant. Uh, shaking a little bit or Mm. maybe feeling Mm -hmm. uh, our heart rate increasing out of the blue for no reason during the day or maybe uh, having a very mm, sound breath i don't know how to say Mm, very um, noisy breath or that can be maybe scanning with our eyes uh, detecting with our eyes wherever we are like let's say we are in a new environment of course, we look around to understand, uh, you know, people that are around us. But for an, an anxious person, this might become, where is the threat? Where is the possible danger? So there is a different mm-hmm. way the anxious person or the traumatized person move the, their eyes in the environment where they are. Because they are looking, they, they have a bigger... A part of the brain that is called amygdala 
which is responsible of, the, of detecting uh, possible danger in the environment. And they are just trying to understand if the place they are in, it's uh, safe enough. So there are many, many different ways to understand uh, after this knowledge that we can get. If the person in front of us is going through an acute state of trauma in that moment, having said that 99% of people have trauma in their body. So I'm... Uh, Liz, I'm glad, I'm glad you mentioned yeah. that because you said, you said that you were diagnosed PTSD and there may be some people who really, who really resonate and say, yeah, something similar happened to me. But there also could be people listening saying, PTSD, I thought, you know, people, maybe they come home from war, they get diagnosed with PTSD, or there's this huge violent act in someone's childhood. Yeah. Then that's, that's definitely traumatizing. Can you, can you enlighten us regarding trauma in, in your, in your definition, your understanding and how our body basically can pick up trauma? Yeah. Uh, before that, uh, Deezer, I'm just adding a piece. When I, when I've been diagnosed with PTSD, I was not a veteran. So I was not coming back from the, from a war or something like terrible major. I was, I was actually working in a call center. So I was a customer service inbound and I was doing a kind of job where, and the people who are listening to us, they may know the feeling. I was repeating all day, every day, the same thing over and over again. And um, probably that job in that time of my life trigger a sense of um, not having choice within me which is the main point of those who experience trauma. So the first definition of trauma is the lack of choice, of choices that people experience in the, during a certain okay. event. So in, in that episode of my life, in this call center, I had that experience, probably combined with other situations that I was experiencing in my life. And these all together creates um, creates a diagnosis of PTSD. So I, w uh, I had okay. a very regular job. I was not, uh, you know, like a visible crazy person or, you know, I was yeah, just yeah. like uh, you can see me now, you know. So because we often connect this to drug addicts or, you know, alcoholics mm -hmm. or, you know, people who are really fuck up with their life people who I might be screaming right yeah, word, yeah. But exactly but uh, no this can happen to anyone to anyone mm. and uh, about the definition of trauma i'm actually borrowing a uh, um, definition from uh, bessel van der kolk uh, who said uh, uh, trauma is fundamentally an interruption of our ability to stay in the here and now and I'm adding to this sentence to be in the here and now and feeling safe. Because maybe I can experience be in the here and now, but I'm not feeling safe enough, enough to explore that state of feeling mm. present. So it's very... Elisa, a question. Maybe there's people listening and they say, yeah, I find it hard to stay in the present moment. Um, 
but I definitely wouldn't say I'm traumatized. Mm-hmm. W- would you would 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 you consider that perhaps people who don't even know it are somewhat traumatized in that, like on a deeper level, their body is is um we talk about the nervous system and fight or flight, but would you say that it the body is is finding it difficult to stay in the present moment as a result of, like you said, not not having a choice maybe in a particular period of your life? Mm-hmm. Uh, first of all, I believe we need to um, distinguish people who um, are already in the path of detecting what is good for them or not, or what feelings make them up uh, in certain situation because Many people, and I was one of them, they are just so used to live in a state of uh, hyperactivation, let's call it like that, or trauma, mm-hmm. that they don't see the difference. They, they say, they maybe think that they didn't go through a very big trauma or they didn't have anything major in their life. But maybe they did, but not in the event itself, but in the way mm. that their nervous system responds respond to that event. So um, just to understand the, um, what trauma is, we need to speak a little bit about what kind of trauma, what type of trauma um, we can find. So there are two different, even three, tra- uh, type of trauma, which is um, the first trauma is the developmental trauma. So it's uh, the one that uh, creates during childhood. And just to give some example, is the kind of trauma where maybe we grow up in an environment which is really violent, or maybe our take- um, caretakers are, have some kind of addiction, or we feel just neglect, or maybe we, are, we have uh, parents which are divorced, and maybe we don't really understand uh, where we need to locate ourselves in the sense of getting uh, a feeling of family, or maybe we feel abused. Uh, this, this can be phys- uh, physically or can be just mentally. But I'm just I'm using the word just because I don't know which word is appropriate in English. Mm, but uh, actually, psychological abuse can be even worse in a sense, than just a f- uh, physical abuse, you know. And um, mm-hmm. that, there can be so many things that can create a trauma. But uh, what we need to understand is that trauma is basically, in short, in a, an event that is taking place in our life too fast and too much. So it's something that we don't really have time to digest uh, to uh, understand uh, what's happening. We don't have time to um, to uh, realize uh, how to uh, face uh, the to problem process. Exactly, that's the word. Mm. And uh, there is also another kind of trauma, which is uh, something that we usually connect to when we speak about trauma and is the big event like a war or a tsunami or a fire or something like this. So these are the mm-hmm. big uh, incidents that we can we can came across, maybe, uh, I hope never in our life. 
but uh, that's the most uh, common um, type of trauma. Having said that, uh, the first, the developmental trauma is more um, difficult to um, work with compared to the second trauma. Okay. Because uh, when we have trauma during childhood, during childhood we have different neural pathways that start to form and uh, they are responsible of uh, the way our brain is actually communicating to our body and uh, how our brain, what our brain is telling about different situations, about if something is safe or something is not safe. Let's say, for example, I grow up in a family where I'm really used to violence. Maybe I'm just taking an example. Uh, maybe my father is beating up my mom or something else is happening or they are drinking a lot. I become so used to that environment because that will become uh, my kind of nerv uh, nervous system adaptation to survive, that this will become also part of my neural pathways. So the way my brain function, I will see the situation like a normal situation, or maybe I understand in my mind, especially in adulthood, that that's not normal, but within me profoundly, I will still, still take that like my kind of comfort zone, like something that Mm. Yes, can happen and it's fine, it's family. So that's uh, also mm. why it can happen that many women or men, I don't know, many women end up with very violent men or they get really abused in relationship because they think at the deeper level that's normal. So they don't have a mechanism of rejecting someone because, oh, this is unhealthy for me. I know here that it's mm. unhealthy, but something within me is still trying to recreate the same condition of trauma and have the opportunity eventually to overcome the trauma, giving a different uh, uh, response to the event itself. I don't know if this uh, makes sense <laughs> because it's makes sense. Yes, sir. Just to clarify something, you said that this would be like developmental trauma, which we would, you know, suffer um, originally with during childhood. I just wanted to um, clarify what we mean by childhood. Do we mean? Could you talk about the neural pathways being created? So, do we mean um, from zero to twenty-five, which is when most scientists would agree that that's when your brain starts is fully. Um, Functional, or is it before then? Is it is there like a cutoff date? Is it like when you're from zero to thirteen years old, or zero to fifteen or eighteen? Do you have like an age range so that people mm -hmm. people might hear you and go, "Oh, well, I was fine during childhood." In their mind, thinking like, "Oh, zero to ten, nothing ever happened to me." But then this really horrible episode happened when I was like seventeen. But that's not developmental because I'm not no longer a child when I'm seventeen. Whereas mm -hmm. maybe scientifically speaking. Um, that might still be classed as developmental um, trauma. See, see, see. Um, the first eight months are the most important. So in the first eight months, uh, we really uh, go into, into a state of uh, we are experiencing our first uh, co-regulation with another human being, with 
and uh, that will be our um, caretaker. We can be uh, that can be our mom or somewhere some someone else. And the first eight months are the most important for the core regulation. And I'm going to explain very short uh, this. But um, as you said, that can be from um, yeah. Um, zero to maybe 12 13 years old or zero eight years old this is in any way the pretty much the age but there is this important phase of our life from zero to eight where we experience this uh, co-regulation with our caretaker as i said and co-regulation is basically having someone of course taking care about our own needs because when we are in that age and even after that but especially in our first year in our first years of life we can't really self-regulate our emotion we can't uh, uh, eat alone we can do so many things alone so we totally mm -hmm. we are totally dependent on our uh, caretaker and uh, if for Mate calls it the health, healthy attachment, right? The healthy attachment, yeah. Mm, okay. Many of us have experienced maybe an unhealthy attachment, and we can maybe discover this in another moment of our life where we get um, what is actually called attachment injury. So the first thing we are looking at, even in our relationship is a way of constantly co-regulate with our partner in a way that is even probably i would say too much you know um and so this is what um, many uh, experts on the field of trauma they spend a lot of research so i'm not gonna get really deeply into that because it's not really what i'm i want to talk about tonight and that would be even too much uh, out of my scope of practice, but um, yeah, there is a lot to say about all these mm, moment of uh, of the child and uh, this co-regulation. What I can uh, can also say is the co-regulation is also very important in the way where we um, in the way we will interact with other adults and with mm -hmm. other people during our adulthood, and um, yeah. So it's about face, it's about muscle face. And so in the yoga for trauma or trauma-informed yoga, I would say, we also work a lot with the face muscles. Mm -hmm. Because actually this is what we were looking at at our caretaker to co-regulate ourselves. So if our mom look at us in a very loving way, relaxed, we could actually self-regulate our nervous system while if uh, even now if someone is looking at us saying oh don't worry just relax and they, they are just you know contracting some muscle in their face it doesn't matter how lovely they will uh, ask to do something but we will not be really able to regulate our nervous system because there is an internal uh, system within us that uh, doesn't sense that like a safe person for us in a way. Mm -hmm. Elisa, I wanted to ask a question. Um, someone who say someone who has um, developed developmental trauma, 
and has basically grown up with whatever it is that they've stored in their bodies and in their psyche. Can you say again? Sorry. Sorry, uh, I want to say that for someone who's maybe um, developed developmental trauma, you know, has has gone through their childhood um, and had a traumatic episode and grown up and they're now, you know, maybe mid-twenties, thirties, forties, fifties, and they've lived all their life with this trauma obviously held within the body and within the psyche. I wanted to ask, how can someone, you know, the body keeps a score, but if you've grown up with it your whole life, your body just feels to you that's how your body feels you don't know that your body should feel less tense or whatever it may be it's not like an injury if i break my leg tomorrow i know oh shit my leg isn't working how it was was working yesterday i better go to the doctor and get this fixed whereas if i've lived my whole life and my body's the way it is i just think that everyone lives like this and that's just how so how how, how does someone come to you and say what Oh, I think I've like, I've gone, like you said, I've gone through psychotherapy for 10 years. I feel like I've done fairly well at figuring out the psyche. That's kind of on track now. And I've got the tools to help me with that. But I still feel like there's trauma in my body. Because I feel like for someone to kind of do that, that own analysis, that own diagnosis must be so hard. Because I don't know how you'd recognize it because there can't be many obvious factors. Yeah. Um, Maybe you need of course, to experience a contrast of what feeling calm or feeling safe is in your own body. And you can have an experience of that when you start something like yoga or some other practices which are somatic based. And uh, this is the only way to experience uh, the difference of uh, what's uh, the current situation and how good you can actually feel trying to do to practice uh, um, somatic therapies uh, whatever that is you know mm-hmm. and um, of course if someone is coming to me it, this is because uh, his life quality probably um, have room for improvements in a sense you know yeah. because maybe they want to feel better so there is uh, uh, a deeper knowing within themselves that uh, there is something wrong. Yeah. They may have not uh, really experienced a sense of feeling safe or feeling really calm, but they know there is something wrong because, of course, the quality of life get really uh, imp- impacted. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Get really, sure. yeah. Uh, and yeah. And I just wanted to ask, just to, just to like make a real clear distinction here. Um, what you're saying is that to, to alleviate stress or, or trauma in the body through movement isn't like through any movement. So, for example, you know, it's not just enough to say, oh, I'm active now. I've gone to the therapist. I mentally got that all in track. And now I go on a run three times a week. And that's me. You're saying that like it has to be specific sets of movements or, or practices, whether it's yoga or so, but some somatic movements, not enough to say, oh, well, now I've taken up football, I go running, I take my dog on a long walk, and I'm an active, healthy person. That's not going to help get rid of the trauma that's stored in the body. Is that correct? It depends. It depends where you are at, you are at with your own life and mm. uh, from your nervous system perspective, what is good for you. Because maybe for you, running is really good because you are creating... Um, some serotonin in your body and your cortisol uh, cortisol level of course will decrease we all know about the running you know the benefits or just the walking in nature 
everything is perfect, but it may be not enough for you. You may need some um, movement which are really scientific based. So uh, some movement that uh, will create uh, new neural pathways uh, in your body. And um, there, is, uh, there are many movements, for example, uh, in the trauma-informed um, trauma yoga format uh, that help you to completely shake out uh, and reset your nervous system. Maybe not ab after the first session, I mean, after the first session, of course, you will feel better. Maybe the quality of your breath will be different, but you need to give everything some time to work on you. And just to reply to your question, for example, taking yoga as an example, there are different styles of yoga. So there is the more dynamic yoga, maybe the power yoga or the vinyasa yoga, which is very dynamic. So you really move fast and you do a lot of postures in one hour. There is Hatha yoga, there is Yin yoga, there are different styles. And maybe if I'm experiencing, uh, um, for example, an hyperactivation of my nervous system and I'm in this uh, fight and flight mode, and maybe we will explain about this a little bit more. And, um, you know, I'm completely stressed out and go going to a yoga class which is dynamic, where I have my teacher that maybe speak loud to me, where I have to hold the postures for maybe a few breaths, where maybe my body just need to completely release, you know, and just come down and do something completely different, can actually re-traumatize the body even more. But I might not even realize that. Or, uh, I may, or I may uh, kind of blame myself, say, oh, everybody uh, is coming out from this class really relaxed, except me. Maybe uh, I wasn't good enough for this class. I wasn't good enough for yoga. So many people come to me and say, sorry, but I can't concentrate more, uh, enough. So I, I can't do yoga. Or, oh, I'm too stressed for yoga tonight. Or... <laughs> that's why you're doing yoga you know you, you mm -hmm. don't need to you shouldn't feel that calm to go to your to have a reason to practice yoga you go there because you feel stressed out completely overwhelmed and yoga the right kind of yoga should be able to help you in a sense so if i'm in a, in a really active state dynamic a very dynamic um, class may be not good for me I may need something more relaxing, but even in that uh, kind of relaxing yoga, I need to have a teacher, which there are, there is plenty of, of teacher uh, that are really good with uh, teaching classes in a very appropriate way. But I need to uh, have a teacher that can really um, lead me uh, during the class. And if I'm not feeling comfortable or about staying in a posture for a few minutes can help me with that and give me option. And this is what trauma-informed yoga is about. Trauma-informed yoga would never put you in a situation where you have to stay in a posture for three minutes or you have to breathe in that way or you have to close your eyes. 
So there is a non-directive way uh, we speak during the yoga class. It's all about options. You may want, uh, you may feel to close your eyes because this is available for you tonight. You may want to, to keep your eyes open during the meditation. You may want to reach your arm through the sky or maybe you feel that your arm need, need another movement outwards. Or maybe you want to explore to stay with, again, with your arm in this direction and maybe stay there for a few breaths. But feel free to come out anytime from this posture and maybe take a few breaths and moving your body differently. So everything is about different options in a way where it still makes sense. So, so there is no people running in the room because they feel to do so. It makes sense, but every posture have different possibilities. And this is beautiful because people who experience trauma in general, they had no choice. So the trauma gets stored in their body because they didn't have any choice in the situation, at least at the level of their nervous system. And uh, whenever you want, we will talk about this too, you know, and... So Elisa, I, I, I just think this would be a nice... This would be a nice movement into talking a bit more about trauma-informed yoga. For people who are like frustrated and going, oh, James, like here's another definition of trauma or here's another. It's so complex. It's so multifaceted. If you're interested in, in, uh, in learning more about this, so we can talk about people at the end of the show who you'd recommend as long as, as well as reaching out to you. But I remember we were talking yesterday and you said one of the other definitions of trauma is a disconnection from the body and how that yoga is very effective in, in reconnecting you with the body. And it actually linked well with Seb's question. You know, people who say like, how can, how can someone who's 40 who's had trauma in their body know that they've, because you, as you said, if you don't, if you've never felt truly relaxed and calm in the present moment mm -hmm. and not under threat and not in a fight or flight situation, mm -hmm. then you might not know. You might just think that's normal and take it for granted. So I guess it would be nice to for you to talk about how we can reach a point where we acknowledge that being in a fight or flight all the time isn't healthy and how the traumatized body or the traumatized nervous system can't delineate between an actual threat or a threat that isn't so dangerous like you're just in the kitchen and someone walks in and you think they're you, they're looking at you funny and they're judging you and then you start thinking oh my god oh my god but uh, yeah i guess this is a, a way for me to say to ask how does the trauma-informed yoga bring us back into our body bring us back into realizing that this there's a deeper calm relaxing state that we can reach and that the the nervous system that was almost like hyperactive for, for much of our lives we can have a bit more control over it. You know, you were talking about control. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Can, can you yeah. expand on this, please? First of all, Thank just you. a way to understand if we, we are experiencing uh, some form of trauma in our body, we hate people. This is the quicker answer that I can give. Usually people who hate other people, they are experiencing trauma in their body. And this sounds very simple in a sense, but when you kind of hate people, 
is actually because you are in a sense of you're experiencing fear in your body and there is a deeper reason. It's not because you are a bad person, but there is a, something within you that is detecting a possible danger from the outside. And maybe you experience life, daily life, like it's really a burden every day and uh, you can't sleep well or maybe you are shaking a little bit or again as i said maybe your your breath become um very short uh, usually for very stressed people um the breath during the inhalation and exhalation will uh, will be like less than 3 seconds long so usually when you are in a state of calmness or your nervous system is working better is going to last for four or five seconds usually just naturally but if uh, we check we check our own breath during the day when we are really stressed we will start breathing very very quicker and this is because our nervous system our like fight or flight mode will start to fight or flight mode will start to um, work and uh, we will uh, come in a state of hyperactivation where all the blood in our body uh, will go to our muscles like if something is about to happen and we need to run away from that event or to fight to that event you know so maybe we are just thinking about oh my god today i have so much going on i still need to do this and that and i will never make it and so we are preparing our body to get very very stressed out and so our body um in that in that moment our brain the part of the brain that is called the reptilian brain because it comes from reptiles so we uh, uh, hereditate i think is in english uh, this part of the brain from uh, the reptiles too uh, in that part of the brain we have these uh, two uh, different way of um, reacting to trauma and uh, to stress and uh, so our body will prepare to a possible fight or, fl or flee and um, there is another state that we can in which is the free state and uh, so this is something we experience even during the developmental trauma so that can be even a situation where we see our parents or someone else fighting each other we don't really know how to do we can't es escape we can't fight but we are going through something or we are staring at something that is too much to take in for us so we go in the freeze mode so we start to paralyze our body that can be a feeling of paralysis so we really cannot move the body or can be an internal feeling of shutting down so the shutting down mode is something that we can experience during during adulthood as well so when we are for example in a very emotional situation or maybe we have an argument at work or somewhere else we will we will have the feeling of shutting down our brain or we will disconnect or maybe um, we are in intimacy with a partner or maybe maybe in another situation 
we will take like a kind of dissociation so we will take us internally to in another space we will be there and maybe from the outside the person that is looking at us mm, doesn't really notice the difference so we are behaving normally but inside there is a mechanism where we can disconnect completely from that situation and pretending to be somewhere else with our head, with our mind. So we have again, we are experiencing again an inability to be in the here and now. Elisa, that's very interesting you talk about how, how trauma-informed yoga is all about choice and how many people who are experiencing trauma or have some trauma in the body, if they don't even think that they didn't have a choice, it's almost like their nervous system feels like it doesn't have a choice, like it feels like it's fight or flight. I was wondering, could you expand on your time, like your introduction into trauma-informed yoga and how trauma-informed yoga helped you kind of calm your nervous system down? Okay. Uh, so the first um, time I practiced yoga was um, during a power yoga class, which is not really yoga, by the way, but <laughs> okay, let, let's take it uh, on one side at the yes, moment. Yes, yes. And, um, but then I start practicing uh, practice Ashtanga yoga, which is, uh, I don't know if you heard about Ashtanga yoga. Did you ever practice Ashtanga yoga? I, I practiced Ashtanga yoga for about a year when I was in the Netherlands. And yeah, uh, yeah. it's hard, right? It's very tough on the body. Yes. Very strict. Yeah, can you tell me a little bit about your experience? So before I go on with Ashtanga yoga, so... <laughs> for sure, yeah. I mean, yeah. Ashtanga was my introduction into yoga seriously as well. Um, and I guess while I really appreciated... Uh, I guess I, guess I, appreciated, I appreciated the consistency it. of it. Like, oh, as you like say, it's these movements these over and over again. again. But I guess I was a bit frustrated maybe at myself or felt that um, there wasn't a lot of um, possibilities to adjust if I couldn't do certain postures. Because certain postures are very, very difficult, particularly if you're not flexible in the hips or the back. And so I took a lot from it. However... I felt like it was quite regimented and quite tough. And I often feel like a softer yoga would have been more beneficial for me. <laughs> okay. Uh, so my experience with Ashtanga yoga, or at least from the perspective of, of my own nervous system. So I'm not going to condemn or blame Ashtanga yoga at all. Uh -huh. Uh, I know there are so many beautiful Ashtanga yoga practitioners that they really had uh, regulate their nervous system with Ashtanga Yoga. Mm -hmm. But in my case and uh, in um, many other people's stories, Ashtanga Yoga is a very demanding practice and it requires, as you said, a lot of discipline mm. and a lot of stamina. And it can be very hard, not only on the body, but on the mind as well. Okay. Uh, first of all, during Ashtanga Yoga, it's a very dynamic uh, style of yoga so it's you have many postures that you need to kind of perform in uh, one hour or one hour and enough it depends uh, uh, by how many postures you are able to do and um, the pace you are learning um, and you have a teacher that will offer you um, adjustment during your practice 
So basically, um, you start with um, a lead practice and then you go in what is called the miser practice. So you roll out your mat and you start with the same sequence every day. Mm-hmm. And there is the teacher that is walking around you and looking at you time to time. Of course, there are many people in the shala uh, every morning and um, it will and he or she will offer you an adjustment based on how you are doing that posture. Mm-hmm. Uh, those adjustments are really um, in connection, in uh, a very direct connection with your body. Mm-hmm. So maybe the chest of your teacher will be touching your back or yeah. will be touching your chest mm-hmm. or maybe his or her leg will touch another part of your body, yeah. maybe your hip or somewhere else. And what I discovered during my four or five years of Ashtanga yoga practice, uh, practicing in different studios, so with different teachers, I realized that whenever the teacher was coming over next to my body, I would feel a feeling, I would experience a feeling of paralysis within my body. So I would basically kind of shut down my system in order to handle this proximity. I think this is the word in English. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The proximity of the teacher, of the body's teacher next to my body. Or maybe if I, um, if I felt safe enough with this teacher, because maybe I had the chance of uh, knowing this, this teacher after or before the yoga class, or maybe I had the practice for a long, period, a long period of time with the same teacher. In that case, maybe um, I felt a little bit better, more comfortable, but in most cases, I would just feel uncomfortable and my body would just go in a state of kind of dissociation, which is not uh, like shutting down and just uh, looking like paralyzed, like from the outside. Uh From the outside, you are still breathing, you are still moving, you are still performing whatever you're doing, Uh but inside um, something else is happening. So you are not really actually in your body. You are just moving, shifting your attention out of the body somewhere else in order to do not have that experience of proximity proximity Proximity. with the teacher. Proximity with the teacher. And uh, so this was, this made me realize of the importance of having a practice where I didn't really have hands on me like in that manner Mm -hmm. and also um, for me the sequence was too dynamic too much okay and uh, so probably in what we find in the trauma-informed yoga it's a kind of yoga it's a kind of style that it can be dynamic so trauma-informed yoga is not for super traumatized people and no, no move more than these. And maybe it can be very slow uh-huh. can, or can be more dynamic, but still um, in a very safe way. So we always offer different choices. You don't have to stay in a posture for a long period of time if you don't feel too. And... Um, the thing is that 
dynamic aspect of the practice and the um, very slow pra- uh, part of the practice are together. While in Ashtanga Yoga, yes, you have sitting postures uh, and standing postures, but in the sitting postures, you will have to stay maybe for five breaths or sometimes for 10 breaths that maybe it's not enough for my body. Maybe mm-hmm. I need a 30 breath there, or mm-hmm. maybe I need five sometimes, you know? Okay. So all of that, again, is not for, to blame Ashtanga Yoga. Is just to explain how I get to trauma from yoga because I realized that after my practice, my nervous system was like in overload. So I was I wasn't really feeling relaxed. Plus, uh, in the in in Vinyasa yoga, usually we use the um, Ujjayi breath, which is uh, a breath that is very warming uh, mm-hmm. and, and creates some heat heat in the body. But uh, if you don't perf- uh, perform Ujjayi breath, which is a perform with the con- contraction of the glottid, maybe it's English, yeah. If you don't have the proper contraction, you will use another part of the throat, which actually put your nervous system in a more stress uh, situation. Okay. So basically, if we breathe uh, with the lower part of the throat, uh-huh. so the Ujjayi breath will look like Can you hear the sound? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Remind like the ocean breath, you know, Uh the the ocean sound. They call (laughs) it the ocean breath. Uh, But if you breathe with the higher part, so like this, it's a kind of slight different sound. Mm -hmm. And this higher part of the the throat is responsible of... uh, basically going into flight and or fight mode again so you feel very stressed during your practice so i don't know if this really makes sense but this was the main reason why i moved to another style and i tried with uh, uh, hatha yoga yin yoga but they were too slow for me and too slow often especially when you are not guided by a teacher can become again another version of trauma. Okay. So can be traumatic again for someone that need another um, another way of nourish uh, his nervous system. Okay. Mm, and so we can go to collapse basically during the very slow practices. Okay. Okay. And and I so, so okay, for people who are people thinking. Who are thinking um, um, does that mean that in a in a trauma informed yoga class, you say we have options, and you say if someone wants to stay in a particular posture for thirty seconds or thirty breaths rather than five breaths, does that mean that a trauma informed yoga class it looks it looks like someone will be doing one pose and then another person will be doing another pose? There's there's they don't have to follow like a strict routine. Yeah, they don't have to follow any strict routine. They always have to check with their own body. Okay. Of course, uh, uh, there is a structure, so uh, I give a class uh, with different postures uh, and breathing techniques, uh, but they will always have the choice to maybe rest uh, in another posture for a while and maybe join us back uh, in in another moment. Okay. Or maybe just stay on the mat. 
uh-huh. during the which looks weird you know because if you go to a standard yoga class you are expected to move your body you know yeah. because otherwise yeah. people will look at you and say well, what are you doing you know yeah, yeah. even the teacher if you want in a sense you know mm-hmm. while during these uh, practice these classes you always have the choice to do whatever your body is asking for uh, if that's if that's more nourishing for your for your body for your system if that's what resonate with you so maybe one day uh, warrior pose can be the right posture for you maybe another day you will need to be more time uh, in uh, baby pose in child pose mm-hmm. or as we call it the wisdom pose as well mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so can you can you just this might be a nice move into the next question as well. But can you talk to us about like a bit more about how trauma informed yoga calms down the nervous system, like in in in, through what ways you said that with Ashtanga yoga, you didn't feel relaxed after you still felt like your nervous system was kind of fight or flight. Can you talk through ways in which the trauma-informed yoga can kind of calm the body body down on a som- somatic level? Yeah. yeah. So in trauma-informed yoga, trauma-informed yoga, it's a somatic pra- practice, of course. Um, but somatic um, trauma-informed yoga um, has his main focus on the way we teach to other. Okay. So the tone of voice the um, offering different choices Mm -hmm. the language that we use Mm -hmm. so for example accordingly with the population um, to which i'm offering the yoga class um, i will use uh, maybe a a certain uh, certain words or a type of language and that will be will look maybe slightly different from the one that i'm using with another population So, for example, let's say I'm working with um, abused woman, like sexually Uh abused woman. Uh And uh, maybe I will be very careful to use words like this is mm, for basically all trauma informed classes. But I will be even more careful with this woman to use words like open your legs here or um, touch your belly or so i will use maybe words like lower abdomen Mm. or maybe uh, keep your uh, leg a little bit distant or maybe see if you can put your knees around your bolster Mm. as opposed to uh, open your legs and place the bolster in the middle or other words or sentences that they look really inoffensive from someone that doesn't uh, study about trauma but they are not because words and the way we speak to certain population but in general actually they have a very dramatic impact on people so they can uh, recall again uh, a sort of trigger in the person Mm -hmm. that is listening during uh, a yoga class uh, which should be safe and we should be you know very in- inclusive mm-hmm. and they may feel uh, uncomfortable or they may f- uh, feel connect the world with the experience that they have so we try to be careful with the language okay. then uh, um, the posters that we choose are very selective and um, you can choose pretty much uh, 
whatever uh, posters that you want, even though uh, there are different teachers that they say uh, in uh, trauma-informed yoga, we should avoid um, hip opening posters. Mm -hmm. I don't personally agree with that uh, because mm, many people, they don't really have problems with hip opening. And again, it's about the choices that you give during the posters. Mm -hmm. For example, we use maybe also some props. We use like blanket. So if I'm liking a posters where, where my knee are open uh, wide, mm -hmm. maybe I can place a blanket in the middle that can cover my genital area, can cover my abdomen. Mm -hmm. And so that will be really enough for my nervous system to feel safe. Mm. And uh, also we use uh, many posters, um, taking in consideration all the study on the vagus nerve, which is the longest uh, nerve of uh, um, our body that connected the brain to the body. And there is a whole uh, research on the va vagus nerve made mainly by many researchers but uh, especially from Stephen Porges that uh, brought to us the polyvagal theory. And so there are different ways of regulating our nervous system based on the way of, um, um, uh, of tonify, um, making, tonificare. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, tonify yeah. our nervous system. And uh, this way can be bowing down, so for, uh, for forward postures or maybe breathing in a certain way so stimulating the throat in a certain way or maybe we have in yoga also the drishti so the gaze movement so that will be made in a certain way that could be beneficial to regulate these and to tonify this vagus nerve or other way of regulating the vagus nerve is by drinking cold water, uh, gargling, maybe gargling for one, two minutes with cold water, singing, chanting mantras, um, or again, breathing. So using the vibration in the throat um, or yeah, I'm just thinking yeah. other way, but there are many different ways of regulating this nerve and it's quite amazing how fast it works yeah, yeah, yeah. so in uh, trauma-informed yoga we combine all the knowledge and um, really the richness of this polyvagal theory with the beauty of um, choosing an appropriate language for people uh, that have been uh, traumatized which we are we all are traumatized mm -hmm. as i said previously so <laughs> It's a very inclusive class, so it's really suitable to anyone. You just need to experience what I'm saying because now it's a lot of theory, but in, yeah. in practice, you can just use and choose to practice trauma-informed yoga for the rest of your life and be a real yogi. The polyvagal theory is very interesting, and, and for anyone who might be interested, I would really highly recommend looking into Stephen Porges. But um, I would, I guess, the, just to clarify on this question about the the importance of calming the body down and to, like, touch again just on Seb's question previously, 
many people who many people like thankfully therapy talking therapy is a lot more common now and a lot of people are going to counselors psychotherapists and like yourself psychoanalysts for people who who are undergoing that process or are interested in going that process and they feel like yeah there is a little bit of trauma in me here and um, why would you say the therapy is not enough why would you encourage them to also address body uh, address the trauma through the body mm -hmm. okay uh, we probably said before that um, talking therapy is a is a um, top-down approach okay so yeah. it goes from the brain from this area mm -hmm. and all what we uh, what we can process at this level uh, send the signals and send information to our body but uh, if the the um, trauma is stored in the body because the body keeps the, the score as, uh, as for the book of Bessenwald uh, van der Kolk. The trauma is still in my tissue. So there is someone that said uh, the issues are in the tissues <laughs> and it's quite interesting, you know. <laughs> so maybe I can talk, 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 talk with my therapist, which is really a good things to do and I highly recommend anyone to try psychotherapy um, because it, it really helps us to create a new narrative mm -hmm. and see things in a different perspective and um, but from the body perspective if the trauma is still in the tissue in the muscle is still there so it's not uh, about talking about the topic that uh, my muscle will release the trauma and, and that energy form, you know. So it will need to shake it out or my body needs to have an experience that, that can uh, completely um, uh, contradict, contradict, uh -huh. contradict yeah. the experience of trauma in the body. So during the trauma-informed yoga class, or maybe during also another style of yoga for other people. So that can be a different experience for someone else, you know. Not everybody needs to practice a trauma-informed yoga to heal. Maybe someone else is fine with Hatha yoga, and that's totally fine too. But during um, a healing yoga class, you will have an experience of entering the posture. So the event is starting. Uh -huh. Then you have holding the postures, mm -hmm. and in the, in that experience of holding the postures, you have the choice, or at least your nervous system will take the choice mm -hmm. to dissociate from that event, or be in the here and now. So really, be there with the postures, breathing or moving or whatever that needs to be done, and then closing the postures. So I'm moving to another posture. Uh -huh. So in that experience of starting, start, beginning, holding, and then closing, there is actually the resolution that we want to find in the trauma. Okay. So the trauma is something that we didn't complete from the, um, from the perspective of the event itself. We can never fully process it. Exactly. So the yoga... Yoga gave us this experience of processing something and bring that to an end. So it's completed, is in the past, and we can move on. And this is what, what we want to do with therapy. We talk with our therapist and what we are really aiming 
uh, at is closing that event that causes stress or trauma and move on with our life. The thing is that maybe to reach that state, we will need maybe 20 years of therapy or maybe that, that would not even be enough because I've been in psychotherapy for 11 years. Mm-hmm. And I'm so thankful that I had that therapy. It was one of the best things of my life. But I reached a point where I realized that was not enough. I need to do something else. You know, it was not about my therapist. My therapist was the most precious woman, a human being in the world. <laughs> and trust me, I went so deep with my own life, childhood, you know, parents, relationship and you really dive deep into your old darkness and you reach points that you you weren't even uh, aware uh, to have inside uh-huh. but then there is a stop there is a limit and the body keep the score so the the things are still in your body and uh, yoga for this is just amazing to release all this stuff and move really move uh, forward with your life and do you think that's why many people, when they come out of the yoga studios, they don't really have grudges? You know, it's really hard to walk out of a yoga session and go, oh, I'm still angry at that thing. Yeah, <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> I'm so angry, but I'm grateful. <laughs> I'm so thankful for this yoga. This has been great. Um, for, before we close up, is there anything that I haven't really asked you or that you, you think, oh, no, this is important to say just before we finish? God. Uh, maybe, maybe it would be nice for you to reaffirm for people listening with uh, maybe with a PTSD um, diagnosis or people struggling with an eating disorder or like in a similar position to yourself or someone with a loved one in a similar position to yourself, maybe to reaffirm that there are there are ways out there in which we can kind of process the trauma and, and reach like a more healing place. Yeah, there are there are ways to come out of that, and uh, of course a psychotherapist. Uh, psychotherapy in general, you really need a psychotherapy if you are going through this. Mm-hmm. So um, it's in my belief that uh, only exclusively somatic therapy could not really be enough. So. Okay please refer to a real uh, licensed, I think yeah. is the word, uh, psychotherapy. Mm-hmm. And um, and then, yes, yeah, somatic therapy that will be a great experience for you, but be aware of this format because often people uh, who suffer of panic attacks or PTSD or anxiety even, they go to a random yoga class and they don't actually find the support that they are looking for and they they believe that in order to do yoga they need to feel calm <laughs> or mm-hmm. they need to get over this state of anxiety of panic attacks which is not true mm-hmm. uh, so the trauma-informed yoga really give you the tools and the opportunity to have a real experience of yoga while you are really um, working on uh, building up that self-compassion that help you through the healing process. This is a very, very important point. Something that really taught me 
um, the trauma informed yoga really taught me it's self-compassion mm -hmm. and it's a very big word because mm -hmm. we often we are really used to talk about love yourself and give yourself some self-love what is this self-love you know <laughs> what is this compassion about you know i hate myself you know and maybe having the opportunity of understanding that what you are going through it's all about your nervous system right now your life there is nothing wrong with you it's not your fault there is really a physiological respond to all the experience you are going through right now and uh, even just listening these words maybe can be really comforting for you mm -hmm. and maybe uh, give you the space to look at yourself like a human being yeah. you know with limits limitation with yeah. all the stuff that uh, we are all going through you know uh, i'm an anxious person i'm a natural anxious person so when i'm in balance I tend to go into anxiety symptoms, you know. So, of course, I'm studying and I'm doing this stuff because it helps me. So, I do other things to look after my mental health, which I believe this is another of your maybe chosen question. And uh, <laughs> mental health means, first of all, I'm seeing something that may sound very silly, drinking a lot of water yeah. so when you are going through tough time even a breakup and i know this very well as <laughs> all of you looking at this uh, watching this interview <laughs> drinking a lot of water will change your days <laughs> going for walks and uh, eating properly healthy food nourishing food so this uh, all these are the foundation of any healing process. Mm. Drinking enough water, e uh, eating properly, healthy food, going for walks. This is the basic. Mm. Uh, then I, per I personally, uh, in time of distress, I would personally listen few seminars online that maybe can help me out. If you are going through a breakup, I also suggest you to look uh, out uh, for um, Alan Robarge. You will, you will find it on YouTube. He's an amazing uh, psychotherapist uh, based in Austin, probably. I don't want to say something wrong. He's really amazing. I was listening to him like mo mainly, mostly every day, uh, like a few years back during a, a breakup. And that really helped me. And um, other things I'm doing with my mental health, like in my everyday life, besides uh, eating properly as much as I can and drinking enough water, is a somatic practices. And so practicing yoga. And um, if you follow me on my Instagram page, which is uh, Elisan Yoga 108. You will see that maybe I'm posting a very fancy yoga poster uh, where I'm doing, uh, I don't know, headstand or something really difficult to do. But actually, mm, my personal yoga practice would be very simple. Some days is just about breathing or being in child pose or maybe doing something mm, very modified with uh, different variations. So it looks different day by day. 
And uh, other things I would do is reading because reading is not just good for the body uh, and for the mind to calm down our nervous system. Of course, uh, uh, accordingly with the content uh, we're reading, but also because of the movement of the eyes, because of the reading, that movement of the eyes will tonify our vagus nerve, will help our nervous system to calm down again. That's why we feel relaxed reading. And also very often we, we can uh, um, get in touch with a state of mindfulness. You know, you are connecting with the book in front of you. You can smell, you know, the um, perfume of the, the paper and uh, you can touch. There is the sound of, you know, uh, going through the different pages. <laughs> uh -huh. So different elements that uh, help. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, <laughs> these are ma many, many good tips. I guess I just, before we close, I just wanted to like double down on what you said in the, in the essence of like our, our hero, Gabor Mate. He talks about how very often when we, when we are frustrated with ourselves or think there's something wrong with us and these are our flaws, actually these are the things that, these are adaptations that we had to do as a result of difficult scenarios during our development. And I think Absolutely. that reframing is very important, isn't it? To just say, hey, there's nothing wrong with you. There's just, this is, you are in this, you are as you are right now because of you had to adapt and you have the possibility to adapt further, you know, to calm the nervous system down and, and become a more kind of intentional person, you know? Yes. And there is another point that uh, I really want to share because I found that uh, as an ex, uh, like as an eating disorder survivor, I find this really, really interesting. That um, uh, I believe that was Stephen Porges that mentioned about about this, about the ingestion of food mm -hmm. uh, in case of bulimia or um, obesity. Ingestion of food to manage the emotion. And um, when people are experiencing a lot of guilt about this ingestion, because they believe, oh, I can refrain mm -hmm. uh, from doing this. But actually in that ingestion, we are using all the fac facial muscles mm -hmm. that we will use during a social interaction. So what we are actually lacking is social interaction. Mm -hmm. And we are trying to reproduce in that by ingestion. Wow. So I found that like kind of mind blowing wow. because I really found myself mm, uh, in that group of people that was just maybe taking food in because I was really missing communication without the outer world or maybe I was having many relationship problem, mm -hmm. maybe at work or even with friends or and I didn't really know, you know, how to confront uh, to other and I was really missing being in a community or being with other people. So I was spending a lot of time alone and I was using food to maybe suppress this feeling. But what he mentioned about using these facial muscles was super interesting for me. So, yeah, I just leave it. This. Yeah, yeah. I'll, yeah. Be sure, I'll be sure to leave links to Stephen Porges and to your, to your website and to your Instagram in the show notes for people who want to learn more after listening to the podcast. E grazie mille per tu, il tuo tempo. Grazie. <laughs> I hope you had some fun too. 
looking at me, moving my hands like in a very Italian way. <laughs> I did. And, uh, I'm very, yes. I'm very much here. Thank you. No, thank you so much. 